Well, Matthew chapter 18. I want to go ahead and read verses 21 through 35. We'll not be touching upon all of these verses today. I'm going to take a couple of weeks in this portion because of just how much there is to work through, at least in my own mind. And I trust that the Spirit of God will help today in me communicating uh, to you and, and you receiving what He has to say to you. And by the way, it may not be something specifically that I say. It might be something that's triggered in you from what I say. That's the way the Spirit of God works, by the way. This is a, this is a mysterious thing, this thing called preaching and receiving. And so may, may the Lord truly meet with us and help us today. So in verse 21, the Word of God says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him. And some of your translations will say uh, uh, worship. And there is this idea here, the kneeling down. It could be worship. It's certainly an at, uh, uh, the a- attitude of humility before the king. Saying, Master... Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So this, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he, what, he had, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So... My heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We heard about forgiveness in the last hour. 
And as I was listening to Michael say some of the things he was saying, I was thinking, wow, there's going to be some little bit of repetition today. There'll probably be repetition in coming weeks as well as we're working through the life of Joseph. What a great example of forgiveness on a number of levels. And forgiveness is one of the hallmarks of the gospel and one of the hallmarks of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know that we can talk about forgiveness too much. There's no way any one of us can have a relationship of peace with God apart from forgiveness. And there is no way that any of us can live in peace with one another apart from hearts capable of forgiveness. And that's really what Jesus is driving at here. And even in this parable, Peter's question sets up Jesus' really shocking answer. Followed by the parable that illustrates his point that merciful forgiveness in his kingdom is unlimited. Remember the kingdom of heaven. When we think of the kingdom of heaven, we often, I think, think of the future. And it's not wrong to think that way because the kingdom of heaven is now and not yet. It is coming in its consummated form, its fulfilled form in time. Yet Jesus is addressing the kingdom of heaven as it is now. Life now. He's pressing us with how our relationships to one another are to reflect God's relationship with us. In the age to come, there will be no sin. In the age to come, there's not going to be any need to seek or to grant forgiveness. And so this thought may help us as we seek to interpret the parable. And by the way, the parable is not a simple parable to interpret. Especially if you try to attempt to make every point in the parable a detail that needs a corresponding truth. And if you work through it that way, you might find yourself stumbling. You might even find yourself coming to wrong conclusions about some things. For example, Jesus is not condoning selling your family to pay a debt. I mean, that's in the parable. He says that in verse 25, right? You know, the, the, the servant couldn't pay, so he says, fine. Um, let him be sold, his family, his wife. His children, so that all the payment be made. Now, you don't read that and say, well, that's what Jesus is condoning. But Jesus is using an illustration here that would have been very familiar to the people of his day. That's the way things were done. Another example would be that Jesus is not teaching that once forgiven, your debt can be put back on you. But if you read this parable, you might think that to be the case because in verse 27, the debt is forgiven. And then in verse 34, this same person is delivered over to the torturers, the tormentors, until he should pay all that was due to him. That's the same fellow that was forgiven. And brethren, I've lost sleep over this when I'm, I'm, I'm still working through this. It's not, it's not simple. Unless we simply take Jesus' words for what he says. And eventually, that's my, that might be what I have to do. You should chuckle at this point. I mean, that's what we should do, right? But, but, but the, the problem is, is that what he says in verse 34, if we take it for what it appears to be saying, it's totally contrary to the point that he's making, that he's illustrating in verse 22. 
unlimited forgiveness. And we'll we'll be getting into that, if not today, next week. Furthermore, Jesus is not saying that his father's forgiveness is dependent upon our forgiving. Kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? In verse 35, where he says, so my heavenly father also will do to you, to each of you. If you from your heart, you don't forgive your brother's trespasses. So your forgiveness from the father depends upon you forgiving. Or not. And we've got to work through that. Because that sounds like what Jesus is saying, not only here, but in a number of other places as well. And we might also mention that, as is common with parables, there are exaggerations and hyperboles that are used by Jesus to drive home the point that is making. For example, a debt of 10,000 talents is absolutely astronomically enormous. And I could say it in more superlative terms, but there ain't no day labor. There's no servant that's going to pay off that. It's impossible. And that's not even reasonable. In fact, there's not a servant that could probably even incur that kind of debt in real life. So there's a point being made, right? It's a hyperbole. And also, when you read about the treatment of the forgiven servant, which we're not going to get to today, but you read about the treatment of the forgiven servant, it seems absurd, absurdly extravagant, doesn't it? I mean, he immediately takes a guy by the throat, and, he's, and, and, and in the original, it, the idea is he takes him by the throat all the way to the prison. And so these are details that Jesus is using to make his point. The significance of forgiveness and the senselessness of an unforgiving heart in his forgiven disciples, which is what we'll Major on, Lord willing, next week. But So Jesus is not addressing the basis or the ground of forgiveness in this parable. It's important to keep in mind. He is addressing the heart behind forgiveness. Now, we're going to have to talk about the basis today, and we'll get to that. But that's not the point that he's making. The point is the heart. Look, what does he say in verse 35? So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Only a heart like his, like Jesus, like our father can forgive like him. Someone put it this way, a community of forgiven must be a forgiving community. A community of forgiven must be a community, a forgiving community. Today, I want to focus on forgiveness in our relationships that is rooted in God's forgiveness of us. And maybe we could even say more to the point of the parable rooted in our understanding of that forgiveness, the degree to which we have been forgiven. Forgiveness is a basic Spirit of the kingdom of heaven. And that's not a new revelation to you. But what we need is illumination. 
We need the Spirit of God to enlighten us. We need the Spirit of God to to bring that home to our hearts. The things sometimes that we already know, we need to know at a new level. A deeper understanding of it. And so Jesus says, Peter, before we see what Jesus says, Peter, it seems like Peter's concerned about what he's hearing Jesus say in the previous passage, especially beginning in verse 15, where he's talked about the need to confront a brother who has sinned against you. And all the whole process, I'm not going to repeat all of what Jesus has already said, but Peter's been listening to that along with the other disciples. And Peter seems to be sort of, he's got his mind, you know how it is. When you, even when you're reading the Word of God, you're re- reading the words of Jesus, you've got questions, right? And Peter's got a question. So he comes to him and he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, Peter was a, was a product of his culture, the Jewish culture and the Jewish mindset. And in the Jewish mindset, really the question that he asks here is a very generous way of saying it. He's really actually expressing a, a lot more mercy than would have been expressed by the, by the Jewish leaders under the law. They would have said three times and you're out. Three offenses. And they base that on Amos. I think it's Amos in the first first or second chapter, where there are three transgressions. Remember that expression? Three transgressions. And so they took from that, that that's how many, tra- that's how many offenses you have. And then revenge rather than forgiveness was warranted. And so Peter, when he says up to seven times, that was really kind of generous. And I think you and I can relate to that. Seven times. That's a lot. The same person. How often shall my brother? Significant. Not just anyone. It's a brother. It's somebody who seems to be in the kingdom with you. A brother or a sister in Christ seems to be the focus of Jesus' thoughts here. That's the context. Sin against me and I forget up to seven times. Certainly they should know better. I'll give you seven times, but an eighth time, forget it. You should know better. And so Jesus' answer is really, it's a, there's an emphatic contrast being drawn here between a spirit of justice and a spirit of mercy. And you may not feel the contrast so much, but you could see it if you could see the original because it's a strong, where it says, but, that's a strong adversative. And so Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but... This is emphatic, but up to 70 times seven. The number 70 times seven, some of your translations may say 77, and there's different ways of translating that number, but our, I think most of us are familiar with the 70 times seven uh, way of translating it. In fact, it really is taken from the idea back in Genesis chapter four, where was it Lamech? Who said, uh, who used the expression 77 or 77s in, re- in reference to a vent. You, you, uh, you're going to talk about, a, you're talking about vengeance? I'm going to take vengeance 70 times 7 or 77s. 
And it seems something that Jesus actually was drawing from that as He used that number here. His kingdom is totally opposite of that. And while you may, you may argue a right under the law, that is justice, to refuse to grant forgiveness after a given number of repeated offenses, Jesus says, not in my kingdom. And so the number 70 times 7 is not intended to quantify forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a matter of calculating. That's not the idea. In fact, if you are counting, you likely are not forgiving. It's a spirit. Forgiveness is the expression of the spirit of one's heart that is determined not to hold on to sin against you. It's a commitment to release a transgressor from an obligation that under the law may exist. There may be that obligation. And justice would say, pay. But forgiveness is a commitment to release a, a real transgressor, somebody who has really sinned. But you release that person from an obligation to make up for or somehow absolve his or her guilt before you will relate to him in a kind, generous, tender, loving way. Are you hearing that? It's relating to a debtor as if there is no debt. Now, brethren, that's hard. Forgiveness is hard. Because it requires of us, not just once, but over and over and over. It requires a lifestyle. It requires a spirit in us. And I would suggest to you, and you might debate with me about this one, but I would suggest to you that where this spirit of forgiveness is growing, you will find the spirit of offense being taken to decrease. And where there is a genuine offense, there is a speediness to deal with it. Now, a spirit of forgiveness does not simply ignore another's sin against you. We know that already. Jesus has talked about it in verse 15. So he's, he's saying this in the context of what he has just said. We, we know if someone sins against you, if a brother sins against you, go to him. He's given the process. But when that brother or sister responds, when, when the confronted offender acknowledges his or her sin, you will forgive. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 17. He says in verses 3 and 4, in verses 1 and 2, I think he's talking about offenses just from the world in general. Because he says it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. That's sort of repeating what he said earlier in chapter 18. And so the, the, there's going to be offenses in, in the world at large. You, you can't avoid that. But then he Seems to shift here in verse three says, take heed to yourselves. That is disciples to, to, to you who are relating to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. If your brother sins against you, 
Rebuke him. That's what Jesus said in chapter 18 of Matthew. Go to him, tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day. Again, we, we, I think this is hyperbolic, but you understand Jesus is making a point. And seven times in a day returns to you. He comes back to you saying, 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 I repent. You shall forgive him. It's not your responsibility to determine if the offender is sincere. And I think Jesus says what he says there to take that off your plate. Well, I don't like the way you said that. I don't like that. It's, that's not your business. Your business, if a person says, I repent, if they acknowledge the wrong, you might not like, you might not uh, agree, you might know whatever about their, you know, the, people have written books on how to tell if somebody's really repented. Frankly, I don't think we're good judges of that. And so Jesus has taken that off your plate when he says, if they say. And then you leave that with him to deal with them, right? If they haven't, really. Jesus places the responsibility, and this is where it's hard. He places the responsibility on the offended to make sure that you are sincere in forgiving. That's what he says in in Matthew 18, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive. The burden is on on you, the one who's called upon to grant the forgiveness. And when you do forgive somebody, you are not saying the offender has done no wrong. You're not saying that the offender doesn't owe you. You, you. you understand that. I had somebody tell me that one time. Well, I can't forgive them. If I forgave them, then that'd be like saying they didn't do anything wrong. You've heard me say that before, I'm sure. Did you hear the fallacy in that? No, that's the point. The only way that there can be a forgiving is if there is something that's been done that's wrong. So when you forgive, you are actually acknowledging that there is a debt, but you are choosing. There's a choice here. It's not an emotional thing. Forgiveness is not necessarily emotional. You're making a choice to let it go. Because I guarantee you, it won't go quickly. It won't go easily. It won't just vanish from your mind. You're going to have to deal with that. But you're choosing to let it go and no longer hold it against that person. Treating them as if they owe you nothing. So when you see them, when you interact with them, treating them as if they owe you nothing. And so forgiveness does not exact payment from the offender before forgiving. Forgiveness does not exact payment before forgiving. It freely expunges the debt. If someone earns restored favor from you, 
That's not forgiveness. According to Jesus, what does an offender need to do for you to forgive? Ask. No hurdles to jump through. Well, I'll give you a few weeks to see if you really mean it. Nope. I've heard people talk like that. I don't see that. I don't see that. What is the... And maybe this is a poor example because it was at the end of his life. But what did the fellow, what did the thief on the cross have to do to be forgiven? Somebody, I heard a message and they were saying, you know, they're in heaven. Somebody says, so, so we're going to examine you before we let you in. Can you explain to us the doctrine of justification? I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Could you explain to us the, the doctrine of the, of the hypostatic union or the Trinity or the whatever. I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, why should I let you in? He says, listen, all I know is, is that middle man on the cross said I would be here. That middle man on the cross said I would be. That's all I know. I'm trusting him. You see? You hear that? And I'm not suggesting that you don't know things and grow when you're under. You understand my point, I hope. But sometimes, sometimes we... We get too complicated. But once forgiven, you no longer treat the person as a debtor to you. Now, listen, and I know I could expand on many things that are being said here, and I'm not going to. And we can talk about it later if you need to talk about it. But this does not mean there are no difficulties to work through in the restoration of the broken relationship. Which, we, which we've talked about in previous messages. But forgiveness is necessary for the experience of reconciliation to happen, isn't it? You cannot even imagine reconciliation without there being forgiveness. So that's where it starts. And then forgiveness doesn't count. 70, 71... 72, 73, it doesn't count. And it doesn't recount. That is recounting. It releases and ceases to visit and revisit the offender's offense. It doesn't push the replay button. You've heard me say that before as well. It does not push. In fact, when the replay comes to your mind... You know what you do? Stop. You hit the stop button. Stop it. Stop it. I'm not going to replay it. I'll guarantee you, if you're hitting the replay button, the thing that was once a legitimate sin has grown in your mind to be much bigger than it once was. And you are the one that's being hurt by it. Not the person who sinned against you. And so forgiveness, Jesus says, that's what he says in verse 22. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. There's a spirit of forgiveness that is that is worked in you so that forgiveness never reaches a limit. Seventy times seven. And I know that most of us, I mean, even the world can imagine maybe forgiving one offense or maybe even seven. But unlimited The flesh can't do this. 
But this is exactly what distinguishes the kingdom of heaven from the kingdoms of this world. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, therefore, there's a connection here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he gives this parable. This heart of forgiveness is illustrated in this parable. And especially the heart that we just talked about is illustrated in the first part of this parable. And I think we see from the first part of this parable an illustration of the vertical. So you have the king and his servants. That's not a peer. And then you have a servant with a servant. That's a peer. And and that's helping me to think through this parable. The king is at another level. The king has no debt. Right? King owes no one anything. It's king. It's the servant that has the debt. And then the servant to the servant. And that's what the parable is about. And so let's think through the first part. Verses 23 through 27. I see this to illustrate the heart of forgiveness. The rest of the parable, I believe, illustrates the heart of unforgiveness, which we'll, Lord willing, talk about next week. He says, kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So he, he's, he's calling his servants, all those who are in his kingdom, who are laboring under him. And, and you know, there's all kinds of discussions as people try to figure out what really is going on here. And I think we need to back. Listen, I've gone there. And I've muddied the waters in my own mind so much. I would encourage you not to go there. Just back off and listen to what Jesus says here. And so there's these servants who, who, who owe. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know. I don't know that anybody can actually say how much 10,000 talents are there. I read anywhere from 10 million to 50 million. And some even said, you know, there's just all kinds of ideas about what 10,000 talents were. I read somewhere where one talent is approximately five years laborer's wage. Now, if that's true, think about that. One talent is approximately 15, did I say five? 15 years, 15 years laborer's wage, which would be a servant. Laborer's wage. 10,000 talents. You hear the impossibility there, right? But he, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be... So there's consequences to this. You owe. But he wasn't able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold and with his wife and children and all that he had, and and that payment be made. It would never have been enough, but it would have been what could be done. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. And so the master of this servant, the king, Forgave the insurmountable debt of his servant. And why did he forgive? Because he was moved with compassion. Mercy. Which is what he repeats down in verse 33. He uses the word actually mercy. The word in 
Verse 27, translated compassion, is not actually the word mercy. It's actually speaking of something going on in the very heart, the very depths, the very bowels, as the old King James would say in another place. Bowels of mercy, it's translated. That's that same word. It's something deep. It's an emotion going on there. He was moved. Now, we can all relate to financial debt, can't we? Well, maybe some of you can't. I hope you can't. But most of us can relate to financial debt, at least to some degree. Either a wing on a house or, or, or something. And, and even a small debt can cause some emotional discomfort, can't it? But Jesus poses an example of one whose debt is greater than his ability to pay. He can't pay it. Now, it's not extremely clear at the outset that he understands that he can't pay it because he says, you know, give me time, be patient, and I'll pay it all. Which was a ridiculous statement to make because it was not possible. We might draw some spiritual truths from that thought. I mean, there are those who think they can do what indeed they cannot do. And until you come to the place before God that you see that you cannot do what you think you can do, you're in trouble. You need to come to the place that you see that you cannot satisfy the debt that you owe. The Master wants to settle the account here. And faced with a debt he could never pay in several lifetimes, and facing the penalty of the king, this servant at least feels his desperate situation. And feeling his desperate situation, he pleads with the king. And it's not here a cry for mercy like we see in other places, but it is a plea with the king to be patient with him. And I'll make it good. I'll do what needs to be done. But the king knows he can't do that. Brethren, certainly Jesus wants us to think about our relation to him as we read this portion of the parable. He wants us to think about He's the King of His kingdom. He wants us to think about our relation to Him and our relation to His Father in relationship to our insurmountable debt of sin. You and I by nature owe a debt to God we cannot pay. No, no. <laughs> We, we, we know that theologically. But I think it's something that we need to feel. Were God to settle accounts with us based upon who we are in Adam and our own transgression against Him, what would become of us? If he were to say to you and me right now, it's time to settle accounts. We would suffer forever under the wrath of the king. Condemned under the weight of the guilt of our sin. Like this servant, we are unable to pay. But there's something about this king. In the parable that breathes hope. 
See, when the enormity of our debt comes to light, what can we do? What, 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 what can you do? Work harder? Promise to pay? Promise to repay? That's not the answer. You don't have the ability. You cannot settle your account. You need mercy. Oh, you need mercy. I need mercy. And the master of this servant was moved by the debtor's plea in verse 26. You say, well, what should I plea? What should I cry? You know, I'm not going to write out some sort of prayer for you. I'm going to say, if you feel the debt, the weight of your guilt, I would say, cry out to King Jesus. Cry out. The heart of God toward penitent sinners is illustrated here. Do do you hear me? The heart of God toward penitent sinners is illustrated here. God is plenteous in mercy, isn't He? Psalm 86.5, you know the psalm, For you, Lord, are good. And this is an amazing statement. Ready to forgive. In other words, he's placable. It's not even the word that's necessarily translated forgive. That's the idea of, of he can be placated. He, he can be because he's ready. He's ready to forgive. That's his disposition and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. One thing we know, if you're an unbeliever sitting here today, you need to, you need to know this. To those of you who are believers, you need to, uh, the Holy Spirit, I trust, will refresh our minds and hearts with the blessing we have in this forgiveness. But there are some of you who don't know this forgiveness and you, you need to know you cannot earn this forgiveness. And this is the very basis of your relating to one another. You need mercy. And this mercy that forgives is costly to the one forgiving. Did you hear that? This mercy that forgives is costly to the, in the, in, in, in the parable. This servant owed 10,000 talents. Now this is a money proposition. But that king was not going to get anything. There was a loss. If he was going to forgive, there was a loss that was incurred. The debt is forgiven because the offended is willing to absorb the debt. Are you, are you hearing this? Because ultimately, the point Jesus is making is you forgiving one another. The debt is forgiven because the offended is willing to absorb the debt. The one thing we're going to see next week with this fellow, with this servant who was forgiven, his fellow servant, he was not willing to absorb the debt. And when we think about forgiving, we think about that person hurt me, that person caused me pain, that person caused me loss. And we have to be willing to absorb that. If we're going to forgive. And then to release the offender. 
And brethren, isn't this precisely how God has dealt with us? Believer, God in Christ, in mercy, absorbed your debt that you might be freely forgiven. Listen, as Jesus is speaking these words, He knew that mercy for those God forgives required Him to satisfy justice by the shedding of His own blood. Right? Listen, if, if, if forgiveness could be granted... I, I was sitting by a Muslim one time on a, on a plane. And we were talking about our gods. He was talking about his God. I was talking about my God. And he said that the basis for forgiveness in his system is mercy. And I said, but what about justice? And he says, well, our hope is that God will just be merciful. Well, if you're thinking that way, then your your understanding is there is no need for the cross. There is no need for the shedding of blood, right? There is. In fact, Jesus could have said he could have come to earth. He could have made this announcement that I am merciful. My father is merciful and then gone back to heaven and skip the cross, skip the shedding of blood. But that's not what happened. In fact, it's even in the law. This was the fulfillment of the law, at least seven times in Leviticus chapters four and five. I mean, it sounds like a repetitive chapter. But as you read those chapters, you'll find this repetition. The priest shall make atonement for him. He's talking about the ones who sin in various ways. The priest shall make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. Do you hear that? Atonement is made. Forgiveness comes. And what does Hebrews 9.22 tell us? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. And what does Colossians 1.14 tell us? In whom, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians chapter 2 That was Colossians 1 and verse 14 that I just read. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. But in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, it's interesting. And in our our familiar translation, at least for me, King James and New King James, it's not quite as clear. But listen to the words of Paul. And you, being dead in your trespasses, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, comma, having wiped out. Now, our translation says the handwriting of requirements. That's the New King James. Some of your translations are going to say certificate of debt. And some just say debt. Do you hear that? Having wiped out the debt. Having wiped out this. And this is the idea 
and the, and the, the, the translators of the King James and New King James just, just took that word and translated it literally a writing, a hand that was writing. But that word was used in reference to certificates of debt. And that's the idea. That under the law, you say, under what law? Well, it makes no difference, really. Whether it's the law of Moses or whether it's the, 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 the Adamic, the law that was given uh, to Adam. Or whether it's the law written upon your heart, Gentiles. It's the law that was against you, that, that, that legally puts you into a place of indebtedness to God for your sin. That's wiped out, he says. Forgiven. That's why you are forgiven all your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. Wiped out that debt that was against you. Which was contrary to us. And He's taken it out of the way. Having nailed it to the cross. Rather knowing the magnitude of your debt paid in full and freely forgiven by your king should affect you in this way. And this is what's leading us to a continuation of thoughts next week. But it ought to affect you in this way. When you hear, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that actually makes sense to you. Because you know your debts have been freely forgiven. You understand what has happened to you. You understand that your God is a 70 times 7 forgiver. Unlimited. All your sins, Michael. All your sins. This is why the Apostle Paul said, at least uh, more than two occasions, but I'll give you two of them. Bearing, Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you. So you all, so must, it's not optional. You must do this. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. There's this vertical relationship. Beloved, you, if you're forgiven, if you're a child of God, if you're in the kingdom, you are that, that servant with that insurmountable debt. And the Master, your King, has, has released you. He's forgiven you the debt that you owe. Even as, you see, there's the vertical, so you, horizontal. That's the basis of your relationship to one another, husbands and wives. That's your children, family members, church members. We are never acting more like our Father in heaven than when we freely Forgive. When you forgive, you are passing on to a fellow sinner 
You're passing on to a fellow sinner an expression of the mercy that you have received from your, our pardoning God. There is no God like our God. There ought not to be any humans like you, dear saint of God. You ought to be like Him. The problem with the forgiven servant in this parable is that he doesn't reflect the heart of God in his treatment of a fellow servant. We'll look at that next week. But Jesus said in Luke 6.36, Therefore, be merciful. Be merciful. After he gives all the ways in which his Father is merciful to, 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 to the world, really. To the unthankful and to the evil. And then he says, therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Let's think of it this way. As forgiven citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we actually have the privilege. This isn't just a duty. We have the privilege and the responsibility of relating to one another in a way that reflects our Father. Just as God has had mercy upon us. And beloved, this is the glorious gospel of grace in living color. And this really relates to many other things that Jesus has said, such as, how will the world know? That we are His disciples. And it's not just so that we can be called His disciples. That's not the point. But it's the love we are showing to one another makes God look real to the world. That is not able to see Him because of their blindness. And so this is the spirit of forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. This is it. And may this spirit be increasingly evident among us. Let's pray.